Welcome to Gatekeeper, a podcast about booking from the bookers and gatekeepers who decide who's in and who's out. Also, there's other stuff. And now your host of Gatekeeper, Jamie Flam. Hello and welcome to Gatekeeper. My name is Jamie Flam and I am the Gatekeeper. This is a podcast and you're listening to it right now in earphones or not on earphones. I believe those are the two options by which you can consume audio, which is sound. We have really an exceptional episode of this show, if I may say so myself, and I will say so myself. Marianne Ways is my guest, and she was someone that I interviewed in Brooklyn, in New York, as part of the New York edition of this podcast. Marianne's resume as a comedy producer is extensive, and the best part was we had her resume right in front of me for the entirety of the episode, and it was so much fun going through all of her various experiences as a producer, as a booker, as a talent coordinator, and about 17 other positions she's held. She's a comedy freelancer machine and has been part of so many amazing things, and her story is so exciting. Uh, she's seen the entire evolution of the alternative New York comedy scene over the last 15 years and has so many great stories and insights into the world of comedy and getting booked and all the things that we talk about all the time on this podcast. And she's seen it from so many different angles and so many different positions from volunteering her time to help out with the guys from Stella and Wet Hot American Summer early on in her career, all the way to being an agent at a major agency and all the exciting adventures in between. She's booked festivals and clubs, and you can tell from this interview that she's a real sweetheart, so it makes perfect sense that she's been given so many amazing opportunities and loves to give so many amazing opportunities to comedians and other artists. So I hope you enjoy the episode. I hope you have a lot of fun listening to it. And... I don't have to say any more words because I think we all know exactly where we're getting to. And that is where we're going to hear the gatekeeper sound effect and then lead into the conversation with Marianne. Gatekeeper. Um, let's see. Um, blah, 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 blah. Do I have to slate? Yeah, slate. Just kidding. I don't, I don't actually know what that means. You do. You did. I, I did that. I mean, I that doesn't, that's what slating is. I don't think that's the same for podcasts, though. Uh, you slate slate your name and your um, occupation. Oh, man. That's so loaded. It's such a loaded question already. Uh, Marianne Ways mm -hmm. and comedy booker and producer. I, yeah, I would say. Yeah. I don't know why I said that with a question mark. Now, They're, where are yeah. we? We're, we are in my apartment in yes. Brooklyn, New York. What part of Brooklyn? Uh, Park Slope. It Great. sounds fancy. It sounds fancier than it is, but you've seen the it, hallway I mean, in my I've apartment. Walked, yeah. I had like half an hour of time to kill. Yeah. I mean, Park Slope is fancy, but like I live in the one building on the block that is falling apart. So 
I don't know why I feel like I always have to preface, like I have, I have to tell people that. Like, oh no, I'm doing well, but not that well. I think that's pretty part of the course. Thing. Yeah. Um, well, this is my, like, I'm really excited. This is the New York edition of my podcast. Yeah. And as I keep telling, I feel like I have to tell people that I was here seven years ago. Um, at my rock bottom when I was trying to figure out what I was doing, like, what the fuck? I'm broke. And now I'm in New York trying to figure stuff out. And then magic happened and I ended up at the improv and now seven years later, I'm back and I'm oh my God, broke isn't that and, the uh, best? jobless. Yay. <laughs> I have been like skirting in and out of that. I think for years of almost, thank God I've never been so broke that I've had to leave, but I've definitely been jobless. Okay, wait, I have to check this text. Uh, okay, cool. He said, we'll hit you up well, later. That That's sounds great. like pretty important. It was pretty important. It's, it's for a casting gig that was supposed to be done yesterday, but it will be done tomorrow. Not through any fault of mine, which is great. That's um, a, well, that, look, this little peek behind the scenes. Yeah, it is. It is. It's always, I mean, you probably know this. It doesn't stop in comedy. Like you're yeah. always, you're always turned on. Like everything is on the cell phone, the computer. That's why I, yeah. I didn't stop booking a comedy club yeah wait so you lived here seven years ago can i, I interview you for this podcast no i didn't live here i was here for oh a you month. were just here yeah oh uh, thinking about moving here um uh, maybe okay. although i mean i've been here for two days and i'm like why don't i live here right well it's you should magic no it's amazing yeah. i've been here since 2003 so you before that? how many years is that 14 that's a good 14 years yeah right? yeah um i was in pennsylvania i grew up in winter pittsburgh and uh, went to Penn State and stayed at Penn State for the year after I graduated because I had just gotten an internship at a music arena, like a 16,000 person arena. And I wanted to work in music. And I had a great PR professor who he knew how important internships were. And I wish somebody had ever told me that, like going through high school or college or anything. I think now people know, but no one ever said like, hey, you should get like relatable, valuable work experience. Sure in a field that you might be interested in. Like at that point, so he, my PR professor brought in the head of marketing for this arena and he gave us, and I, my, I was studying public relations and he was PR and marketing and he came in and I was like, oh, you could work in music without being a musician? Sure, that makes sense. I was like already 21, I think, and had no idea. And so this guy was amazing. And uh, so I submitted my resume and followed up and was persistent until he gave me an internship. And it was great because he like it was, you know, basically the idea of that job was figuring out creative ways to get people to attend shows, which is still, you know, so you valuable. Please tell me. I did. And then it all changed. Um, yeah. So he brought me on and he liked me so much that he kind of put me in charge of like all the interns and just kind of go do your own thing. And it was great. It was like it was, you know, that the thrill of standing in front of the stage and talking to musicians that I idolized growing up combined with like, you know, being able to be creative and put together events and promotions and connecting with people. That was, I guess I'm just, I'm just going to realize this. I'm going to have so many epiphanies as we're, I'm saying this out loud, but Holy crap. Like, yeah, that was, my job was connecting people. Like I knew I made sure I met the mayor and I knew all the radio DJs and I knew the newspaper people. And I had a friend that, he was a Sony rep, which, you know, back in the day when they were trying to hawk CDs, mm -hmm. he, they would reach out to college students and he just had like drawers full instead of clothes in his dorm CDs. And so his job was to like, you know, get CDs into the hands of people so that I guess they would talk about the bands. And so I was like, oh yeah, we should just join forces and 
like, you know, we should do events at bars where we have a cover band playing songs of this artist we're trying to sell tickets for. And we have contests all night where they can win prizes from you and tickets for the show. And it was so fun. It was super cool. And I was there for a year and then I wanted to move to New York. And so, and before that, um, oh yeah. So the summer before I had an internship at an advertising firm in New York, again, I forget again, same thing where I was just like, oh, that's a thing you could do. And I just reached out to my family and was like, who's got an internship? And my cousin, they were like looking for people at their advertising firm. And so I knew I wanted to move to New York. My family's from Jersey. And so I spent some time here. Do you feel like part of it is a product of pre-internet or yeah, where I wasn't until I was 25 where I was like, oh, you can have a career in comedy. Yes. I had no idea. Like like, I love comedy, but it blows my mind. I feel like this is, it's true with people of our generation that grew up in a major city or just anyone 10 years after we were doing this is like everyone just, yeah, with the internet, you know what's out there and it's so accessible. You're like, oh, I know totally what I want to do. Well now, I mean, especially in comedy, like you listen to a thousand podcasts and you're like, you know exactly the path to take. Yeah. Which well, that's not true. (laughs) I mean, every path is different, of course, but yes, every path is different and I feel like there's no formula to it. But I've definitely had people reach out who are in college. I don't even know them. They found me somehow through LinkedIn or I don't know, the Night Train website or something where they, they'll message me and say, hey, can we have coffee? Like, I'm going to be in New York. I want to do what you do. And I'm like, how do you how did you find me? Who are you? Like, what? Are you, OK, yes, like definitely. But that's how I got this podcast interview. Yeah, by the way. That's true. The Internet. <laughs> you just ask the Internet. They give you anything you want. Um, yeah. So. I came to. So like I. I knew I wanted to come to New York and the job that I found was at Big Apple Circus, which is a circus. Um, literally, it's like a mix between Cirque du Soleil and Ringling, but a lot smaller and very acrobatic. And they were looking for marketing people. And I walked in with like a portfolio of all the events that I had done. And I came dressed in a suit, which, it, yeah, which amazingly no one else had done that came for the interview. And so like I came in in my suit and put my portfolio down. They're like, haha. I was like, what? They're like, you're hired. Really? <laughs> I mean, who are you? Yeah. They, I mean, they interviewed me, but they hired me right away. And that's a good tidbit. Like yeah. right out the gates, wear a suit. Wear a suit. Yeah. Um, it was like, even in casual situations, I mean, well, it depends. It depends. It's ever nothing. Nothing is what well, it I used think, to I'm be. Sure there's places where you walk into the suit and and then you like, get laughed you, out. Yeah, yeah. Like, don't if you want to be a like a server mm-hmm. at like a restaurant, don't go in in a suit. They don't care. Or um, um, uh, the Tommy Bahamas. <laughs> yeah. No, actually, you'd be surprised. They love suits at oh, Tommy really? Bahamas now. Okay. <laughs> like, how, how do you know the inside scoop <laughs> Look, on TBs? Um, I don't want to get into it, but I have a really deep history with Tommy Bahamas. I don't even know what that is, to be honest with you. I just think it's like. Uh, 50-year-old white men uh, apparel for every day. Oh, perfect. Like just big Hawaiian shirts. Okay. That's what I might think it is. Cool. That sounds right. Yep. I would believe just about anything you said right now. I'm very gullible. Um, yeah. So came to New York and I lucked out. I had the most amazing boss. And at the she, circus. At the circus. She was like the boss mom that you want to have. Like I, it, it's, it was crazy. Like I, you know, I came from this. I, I did have a full-time job, but I was like an assistant. And I came into the, you know, the big city and it was just like, go, go, go from day one. And she, I don't know, it was, it was weird. It was like little, I was learning little things. Like you don't have to wear your nice shoes to work. You can wear sneakers and then put on your nice shoes. Like it was little things like that. They didn't that. expect you to wear the suit. No day. suit. There was no suit. <laughs> Very, oh, I, I do not miss khaki pants though. I don't know what I was thinking. 
like that was man, four years of khaki pants. I feel like be, like between my day job and going out at night, I would always bring a change of clothes. And I'm like, Oh, I'm glad I figured out. It took me three years to figure out how to not do that. Like, Oh, I can just wear dresses or whatever. It doesn't matter. Not an important part of the story. For some <laughs> listeners, this could be an epiphany. It, it is. Yeah. You don't have to wear khaki pants. You never have to wear them. Um, yeah. So my boss was amazing. And here in the story, I always have to backtrack because I have a weird, how I got into comedy. Like I grew up, um, raised on MTV. Like, so I was a music person. Like I was a latchkey kid that loved music videos and, you know, like I, I thought Matt Pinfield was the coolest guy in the world. And like, these are my <laughs> heroes. Like I didn't watch a ton of movies. I liked TV and, but I just, it didn't, that didn't hit me like music did. So, and I didn't know much about comedy. Like I, you know, my, my parents had, my dad had like George Carlin albums and Bill Cosby. And I thought that was great, but I thought that was like only things that like only George Carlin could do that. Mm -hmm. And then I watched a lot of BET growing up. And so that was my only exposure to stand up comedy was like the comic, comic, yeah, comic view. And which was hilarious. And I loved it at the time, but it was just a bunch of comedians. Like the only thing I remember is them being like, I'm fat. I'm going to tell you about how fat I am. And I'm like, Oh cool. That's, that's all we do. We just make fun of ourselves and each other. And that's it. So I was like, oh, I don't really care. And then on MTV in the nineties was the state on MTV, you know, the, was like the, the, the people that I wanted to be friends with. I was like, Oh my God, like this is the funniest thing I've ever seen. It was kind of perfect time in my life to see that. And I was like, Oh man, if I lived in New York, they'd be my friends and just kind of left it at that. And years later, fast forward to college and I was Somebody mentioned the state. I was like, oh, my God, what happened to them? Where are they? Because this is like the beginning of the Internet. I mean, the Internet existed, but it wasn't something that we turned to every five minutes to figure out where everybody was and what they were right. doing. You had to ask people and talk to them. It was weird. And so this guy, Alex, who I think I don't remember his last name, but I think he lives in New York, actually. He was a film guy and he overheard like I think we we're talking about it. He's like, oh, well, you know about Wet Hot American Summer, right? I was like, what is that? And it had come out, I think, the year before. And just failed miserably. So no one knew about it. And it's like, they made a movie. Like it was. And like one of the best movies ever. Yeah, yeah. The best, one of the best movies, especially as a Jewish kid that went to summer camp in Pennsylvania or in Ohio, actually Jewish summer camp. Um, and so I, <laughs> I got online and I was like, what hot American summer. And this, the Stella page popped up. So it was the state Stella, what hot American summer newsletter. And it's like, holy shit. Like there's like, you know, David Wayne, Michael Schwartz, and Michael Ian Black are doing something together. This is amazing. So I signed up for the newsletter, forgot about it, moved to New York, like, I don't know, six months later. And a week after I was here, I got an email from the newsletter that was like, hey, everyone, thanks for being on our newsletter. Uh, it's almost Halloween, and we want to do a special event and bring Wet Hot back to the big screen for a weekend. Like, uh, respond if you want to help. And so I was like, I would like to help. And I didn't hear anything. And about a week later, I get an email from David Wayne that was like, hey, everyone, thanks for responding. We're going to meet at uh, like an NYU building Tuesday at 2 p.m. And like, just come to the meeting if you want to take part. And I was like, oh, my God, this is amazing. But also, it's my second week of work. It's 2 p.m. on a Tuesday. Like, there's there's no way that anybody else would have let me go. But my I told my boss and she was like, oh, my God, I went to NYU with those guys. I had such a crush on Michael Showalter. You have to go. Tell me if he's there. Tell me what happens. And so I went to the meeting and there were maybe 20 of us and, you know, David, you know, and Michael Showalter were there and they were like, so what should we do? We're going to do a screening and we can invite cast members. What else should we do? And I was like, well, you know, could you have a band play the soundtrack? He's like, great. And I was like, and I kept raising my hand. He's like, stop raising your hand. And I was like, well, you know, what if we 
have a costume contest since it's Halloween and we can give out autographed like, you know, memorabilia from the movie or like, you know, get journals and have people sign them. He's like, yeah, great. Okay, do that. And he's like, who are you? You're in charge. Just just take care of it. I was like, okay, great. And so that was my first, you know, event producing in New York. Um, I had a um, Anya Garrett was at that meeting who she books um, fresh out at UCB and is still super involved in the comedy scene. And so she and I and another woman kind of like joined forces and we're like, all right, we can get this done. And so, yeah, I just, I asked David Wayne, I was like, Hey, can I just grab emails for everybody in the movie? I'm going to reach out to them, see if I can meet up with them, get some autographs. He's like, yep, here you go. And just gave me emails for everybody. And I was like, great. And I would just reach out to people like, Hey, I'm doing this thing. Can I come by? And so, you know, one day Amy Poehler's like, yeah, just come to UCB theater. We're working on soundtracks live. And so like, Zach Orth will be here and A.D. Miles and just a bunch of people in the movie already. And so I just like went and before I think before that I'd gone to the one of the producers and he's like, yeah, I got a closet full of stuff. So he gave me like these what Hot American Summer posters and T-shirts and whatever else he had. And the rest I just bought or made and just showed up. And, you know, I was always that kid with rocking around with Sharpies like mm-hmm. and then Zach Orth made fun of me because he like after the script screening happened, I had brought a bunch of Sharpies for people, more people to sign stuff. And I put my initials on them like, so I could get them back. <laughs> and he was like, the years later, he's like, you know, I still have your Sharpie. <laughs> I was like, yeah, okay. Like it's a, an obsessive compulsive producer thing. I think. Thanks. Um, smart. Yeah. Hey, so how much can you get one of those MW uh, Dad, Sharpies on? You have no idea. Right yeah. I, if I feel like I should have one like hanging on my wall in a shadow box, that'd be hilarious. Um, no one would ever get what it meant. Um, yeah, so we did this event, uh, and David like m- neglected to tell us it was a week. It was two nights, so I show up for like this one night, and a bunch of people in our group, and it was amazing. I mean, it was you know like three hundred people at the Village Cinemas, just like dressed as the cast, and he, you know, it was exciting to see because there were fans of the movie, but not that many. Like it was, it was still kind of something that people missed, mm-hmm. um, and but the core fans. Like they were, you know, they were hardcore. They loved it. And we had a great night. And, you know, that night, like I met Paul Rudd and um, I, I met Kevin Allison there and 80 Miles and, you know, a bunch of people. And like, I remember after that event, 80 Miles is like, hey, did you help put this together? David said I should talk to you. And I was like, yeah. And he's like, okay, I'm doing a show at UCB. And he said, you could help me figure out how to promote it. And I was like, yep, sure. And, you know, it's like we had a chat um, and like, you know, a year later, it parlayed into... Kevin Allison needing a new assistant for a sketch writing class. And someone was like, what about Marianne? And so like I went to be his teaching assistant, even though I couldn't write a sketch to save my life. Um, and it just kind of like started ballooned from there. Like I was at the circus for four years, but you know, I, every night I was either just working for free or going to shows and hanging out. And you know, David would, he was great. He would, you know, keep me in the loop. I was like, Hey, I want to help out with Stella stuff. He's like, great. Do you want to sell merch? I'm like, yeah, great. So I used to go to these Stella shows at Fez, which is now closed. Oh, so I gotta remember that. I'm gonna have to write down Fez, um, for another thing that I'm producing that involves closed down comedy venues. <laughs> um, sorry, always working. Um, very curious so about this. Project. I can't tell you, I can't tell you about it. Um, unfortunately, but, um, I'll tell you, like, I can tell you like snippets. Um, so at Fez, like one of my first real stand-up shows was a Stella show. And I remember Kristen Shaw and Nick Kroll and Mike Birbiglia. And I think, I don't remember if this, it was this one or later, but like Stephen Colbert was on one of my first, the first shows I went to. 
And it was, oh my God, it was just the funniest thing. Like I still, I don't remember people's acts anymore, but I still remember like Nick Kroll doing this weird, like Russian character where, you know, he, his, like one of his jokes was like, what's worse than biting into an apple and seeing half a worm. And he was like, what? And he's like, AIDS, AIDS is worse. And it's like, <laughs> like that stuck with me. It went, but you know, other than that, it was just so weird and fun and smart. And I was like, Oh, this is stand up. Oh, cool. Like this. Oh, this is great. And I was helping sell merch at a Stella show at Irving Plaza, I think. And Eugene Merman was opening for them. And you, like I was there with Anya and two of our other friends, Kate and Sean. And uh, Eugene came up to the table and we we're just chatting. And he's like, oh, you guys should come to my show. We're like, what is that show? He said, it's every Wednesday night at Rafifi. It's called Invite Them Up. And we're like, all right, we'll go. Sure. Why not? And then I wound up being there with usually Anya and Kate and Sean every Wednesday. It was like going to Cheers, you know, like the bar. Like it was you walked in. All of your friends were there. It was a good vibe at the time. It was a free show. Um, and there weren't such, there wasn't such a thing as like a comedy fan back then. So we were just, you know, people who like to have fun and hang out. And I mean, looking back on it, I feel really lucky that these, all of these comedians who were 10 years older than us treated us like peers. You know, they didn't talk down to us. They weren't like, who are you weirdos that are coming to all these shows? It, it was, you know, and, and we didn't think of it that way. We didn't think of like, oh, it's a rock star. I have to go meet that rock star on stage. It was just like, oh, this is just our peer, like our friends hanging out, goofing around, even though, you know, they, it, we became friends. Like we, they accepted us and there were already some established comedians coming through. Like there were definitely nights where I was like, is that David Cross? Like, mm -hmm. what is he, what is he doing here? Um, or like Louis CK would come in and, you know, chat with our awesome bartenders. And it was just, it was so I, cool. Well, yeah. The first, first time I came into New York in I think 2002 or three, I went to invite them up and mm -hmm. saw John Glazer for the first time. And, and just like you, I think, um, especially then because it was those early internet days where it's like that sense of discovery mm -hmm. it was like, Oh my God, stand up can be this. Yeah. And comedy can be this. And there's people that are here and appreciate it. Yeah, totally. And it was, I mean, it just, it's funny because I always said, like, I just went to comedy because that's what my friends wanted to do. And it's kind of true. Like, the friends that I met, they were like, oh, let's just go to these shows. So I was a music person. But, like, the friends that I made in New York, not they didn't like music. It's just, that's why, not what they did. Like, I grew up, you know, driving an hour to Pittsburgh or Cleveland, either direction, to go to concerts. Like, it was, you know, I still have, probably have all my ticket stubs somewhere. But like nobody wanted to do that. And I was like, all right, I'll just do what you're doing. But because it's fun, mm -hmm. like there's no reason not to do it. Um, but yeah, it was great. I mean, so like that's where it went. It was a great time to be involved. Like it was right after. Oh, my God. I always want to say it's Luca Lounge. It was Luca Lounge Luna and Lounge? not Luna. It was. Was it, it was Luna then. OK, Luna Lounge. I always get the. There was because it was Luna Lounge first. And then they closed, and there, there was a Luca Lounge that was like, you know, a little comedy spot after Rafifi. So yeah, so Luna Lounge, um, like I knew that was happening, but it was, it was kind of coming to an end when I was starting to get into comedy. So I remember, you know, somebody saying, oh, you should really go check this out. And it was one of the last shows, I think, you know, I remember walking in and um, Todd Berry was like, Marianne. And I was like, yeah. He's like, are you impressed that I remembered your name? You should be. And I was like, okay. <laughs> like I was impressed. I was flattered. I was like, oh, all right, cool. I've only been hanging out for a couple of months. But like, that's, I don't know. That's kind of the way the scene was is people are like, who are you? What do you do? What, like, tell me about your life. Not, let's not just talk about getting TV shows and mm -hmm. podcasts or whatever it is. 
Um, and then at that show, I remember Dom Irera was there, which is insane. Like it was a little bar room. It was a little bar in the East Village and it was him and Scott Thompson. Um, and I forget who else. Uh, but I the, that was a cool moment for me because when I was at the Bryce Jordan Center, the arena that I worked at, um, the only comedy that we had when I was there was Cher brought Dom Irera with her to open which is crazy. And I met him backstage and he was like the funniest dude. And he just kept like joking around with me and he made me walk him onto the stage. It's like, come on, it's your big moment. And I was like, uh, like Dom Irera. So it was, it's cool. Like there's a lot of those moments in my life where like they just weirdly overlap. Mm -hmm. Um, and, but yeah, Rafifi was amazing. So when I, you know, when I, I started hanging out there in 2003 and so it was when like Pete Holmes was just starting there. I'm pretty sure I don't want to get anything wrong, but it was like Pete Holmes. I mean, the people that hung out were Pete and John Mulaney and Nick Kroll and uh, my gosh, Brett Gelman, John Glazer, Joe Mandy, Noah, you know, Noah. Uh, oh, my God. Finkelstein. I haven't said his name out loud in so long. Max Silvestri, like all of these, like Baron Vaughn. It was just this wonderful, like everyone, they were all so goofy and the only, like they were always trying to, like not always, but there were times when it would just get late and we'd get like stupid and drunk and people would just be trying to one up each other, just trying to make each other laugh. Mm -hmm. It wasn't about like, I'm a better comedian than you. It was never that. It was always just, they wanted their friends to laugh and like, it was always such a good time. Um, and then, you know, Eugene had already been doing festivals like internationally for, I'm guessing a few years. And so he would have his friends in. And so that's how I met Reggie Watts. I think they probably met in Edinburgh or something. And I was like, oh, my God, this is the most brilliant person I've ever seen. And I just it was at that time again where, you know, they weren't celebrities to me. They were just people who were doing amazing things. So I just would go up after the show and be like, Reggie, who are you? What are you doing? What can we do together? Like it's and, you know, just all these sweet, sweet people. They're like, yeah, let's just have fun and collaborate. And um, do you think that, mm -hmm. that still exists? Or I, I think yeah. it does still exist. But it's, it's, yeah, it is, different. it is. Yes, it exists. I mean, there's definitely still a community. And people want to help each other. But at the same time, I feel like everyone to me now feels like they need to have an end goal where it's like, and especially there are a lot of people starting comedy that just want to do it because it looks cool and they've seen it on TV and anyone can do it. And they're not like, it's not their passion. It's mm -hmm. not, you know, they just like, oh, I could write jokes. I could be formulaic. I could do this. I could, you know, that I'm sure that existed back then too, but not as definitely not as much. Um, and yeah, I don't know. I feel like back then people were just willing to take risks and be silly and dumb because, you know, even the industry existed, but like comedy wasn't the, the next big thing. It was so you could do things without anyone paying attention. You know, you had the freedom to just play. be silly and play. Exactly. Mm -hmm. And, you know, like now it's, you can find, certainly find a room in the back of a bar to, to get weird but I don't know. I feel like that. But now there are so many comedy shows. It's so oversaturated that you're probably not going to have a, a big audience or a good audience or, you know, nobody else on the show will be good. And so you wind up having a show of you being good and four terrible comedians and then an audience that's like, oh, is this what comedy is? Yeah. It's the worst. Um, so you're kind of forced to bring your best already. And then, I mean, it's also that tricky thing now where agents and managers are signing everyone way too fast. Absolutely. Way too fast. Like before they've had time to develop their voice. Um, and I get it because you don't want to lose the opportunity for someone that you think has potential, but at the same time, it's doing a disservice to comedians in some ways because they, a lot of them feel like 
okay, I'm funny. Why, why don't I have this yet? And then they're just like creating this, like, you know, jealousy and, and a like, false expectation. Yeah. Especially at a young age. Like I think, and I was just talking about this in early podcasts, but you, know, you take your foot off the pedal a little mm-hmm. bit because you're like, well, I'm funny and people think I'm funny. So I don't have to put the work in right. as much. Yeah. And it's, it's, and that's not to say every comedian, it's not at all. Like it's, there were maybe two or three years ago, four years ago, I almost like, I mean, I've walked away a lot of times, but I'm so addicted to it. And I love the comedian so much that I, I keep staying in it. But like three, it was like three or four years ago where I was like, nope, it's done. I, like everyone that I came up with in the scene has moved to LA, almost everyone. And the newer comics that I was seeing, I was like, I've seen it all. I don't care. Like I, nobody's saying anything I haven't heard. No one's saying anything I haven't care. I don't, I care. Like I, I care about. And everyone's just like, I feel like no one was being real. And no one was being weird and I love weird and you don't need to be weird. weird, But like, I was like, is that it? Have we killed creativity? Have we told them that they, you know, they need to be Louis CK or Aziz and like just have, you know, they have to be the best storyteller, the best punch setups and punchlines. Like, you know, they, and I was, I don't know, I was super bummed and like I kept forging, forging on. (laughs) Um, And then I don't know, maybe like two years ago, it was probably just me. I think I was a little out of touch with the new scene. I think that's a part of it. Um, and I started to get out more and asking people like, Hey, what's going on? Where is like, where are the creative people? What's happening? And then, and I feel like there was another resurgence, which is exciting. And maybe it's just because it went from everybody in New York had gotten to headliner level or like whatever you would call a headliner level in the alternative scene. And the rest were too new. I, maybe there was just no in between. Mm-hmm. And so I'm, I think it just took a couple of years for them to find their voices. And, you know, and some people that I met four years earlier disappeared after two years. I'm like, good, you, you should have. Um, and the people that, you know, stuck with it, a lot of them found their voice. And I mean, like I was so excited the first time I saw Joe Firestone. My God, I was like, oh, yep, nope. This is, you still have that like spark of what I saw a decade ago. And like, she just, was so funny and she was, I felt like she was performing for herself, you know, just or like Julio Torres, like, you know, that, that group is just, they were, they were like, no, we just, you could tell they loved it. They were having fun and they were, you know, there, and there wasn't a place for them yet. I feel like when they were starting, there wasn't like, oh yeah, no, if I just do this, I'm going to be just right. like so-and-so and get that. It's, I think they were just doing it cause they loved it. And, you know, and again, at that same time, I don't want to just say like, it was just them. It was, you know, there were a lot of comedians around that same time, like that are now, I guess, quote unquote, headlining my show. Um, well, t- let's talk about it. I mean, sure. it's funny. And just <laughs> for all you listeners at home, I literally have your resume in front of me. By which, accident. We should say that because I was just at a job interview yeah. and I was like, oh, I actually, here's my timeline. It's and not it's like I so came to a dense. podcast with my, I mean, <laughs> this so, isn't everything either. Well, let's just, I mean, quickly, marketing coordinator um, mm-hmm. for the Bryce Jordan Center Arena. Promotions director at the Onion. Yep, Associate I skipped over that. Program. Yep. Comics night. I, I, I did a, a really bad open mic at Comics. Really, Comics with an X. Yeah, so ridiculous. It was. I like the room, but yeah, I oh, remember it's a great room. The, it had it's um it had its golden years, and then went crashing down. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Tour manager, production center, Foster Entertainment, producer, of Comedy Blow Canal, producer, mm-hmm. of Hot Tub with Kurt and Kristen. And that was one of the shows. That was the first time I ever saw Pete Holmes at the oh, Union cool. Pool in 2000. Oh, Union Pool. That predates me on Hot oh, Tub. Really? Yeah, because Hot Tub had been going for a few, uh, maybe two or three years. And then they took five years off. Oh. And then they called me 
and they were like, Hey, we want to bring hot tub back. And, but we only want to like, we, we need you to produce it. And I was like, and I had left comedy. Oh, cause one thing that's not on here is in between there. I worked in children's book publishing cause oh, cool. I have a copy editing background. I love words. <laughs> the <best. laughs> that was the worst sentence about I, like, loving words. I love it. I, I good words. I good words. Words good. Words now. good. Like, um, yeah. Cause I was like, I just had, I said, fuck it. I was like, I'm over this, you know? Um, and went to children's book publishing and they called me during that. And I was like, okay, I'll come do that. And that's also when Bonnaroo happened, which is further up. Wait, we're not in the there resume. Yeah. On. Sorry. Well, that's well, when it started. My damn channel. I remember mm -hmm. that. Um, talent booker. And that was where David Wayne's Wayne days yeah. was home and all that. Yep. And it, where uh, like Hannah Hart and Mamrie Hart. And that was my first introduction into the world of YouTube sensations. That's mm -hmm. when all of that was kind of becoming big. And it kind of, it, it made me change the way I was booking for that. Like that, what that was, was a weekly, a live weekly talk show hosted by Beth Hoyt, who I love, who's in LA now. And they wanted a special guest every week. But that guest had to be in New York on a Wednesday at 3 p.m. And I was like, all right. So I started calling in favors um, like I did with my first shows. And uh, and like my first couple of shows were like, you know, David Wayne, John Glazer, David Cross and all of the, the, the like the people who were tuning in live on YouTube to watch it at three were like, who are these old men? And I was like, oh, <laughs> and so I had yeah. to like it was great. It was a great exercise. I had to rethink everything. And like, can I ask you? Yeah. Um, it's never really come up on the podcast, but it is such a part of being a booker and a producer is calling in the favor. Sure. And well, I mean, just explain that to, yeah. um, to someone that doesn't really know what that entails sure. and it why is, it's a favor. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I've called in, I've called in so many favors and at the same time I have used, um, you know, like I just, I've not called in favors. Um, it's, it's a tricky thing. I get that email a lot of people who are like, Hey, can you just ask so-and-so to do this for me? And I'm like, no, I can't right. like, well, why? And I'm like, well, I mean, you know, not that I do everything to benefit myself, but I'm like, I see in the long run how this will not benefit me because, you know, for me, this is my job is all about my relationships with the comedians. Like I'm lucky enough to know them. They've been so good to me. And I think the reason we get along so well is because like I got in this to kind of help them like, you know, the, Hey, you shouldn't be doing all the, the data and the, you know, like the doing your Excel sheets or whatever, you, you know, the, the, all the details, you'd need to just be performing your art and let someone else worry about selling tickets or, you know, getting the word out, whatever it is. And, you know, I feel, I was like, Oh, this is, this is where I belong. It's helping. It's like, you know, it's being the little tiny like hand holding the foot up <laughs> to mm -hmm. get up on one step. Um, and I also, you know, I, I, I was also again, lucky at Rafifi to, learn how, how to run a show. Like Holly Schlesinger, who is now at Bob's Burgers, like she produced that show and I, she ran a great show and I was able to just sit in the back and see, like, I, you know, I did a lot of how is the audience responding to this? How are they, how does the room affect it? How mm -hmm. does the comedian affect it? And when I started producing my own shows, I would, you know, get really uncomfortable when someone yelled out something. So I'm like, Oh God, no, they're, they're ruining that person's set. That, that can't happen. And instead of just going, eh, I would go up to that person and say, hey, could you actually not yell out? Mm -hmm. You know, and then, it was, and then they'd be like, oh, I'm sorry. I didn't know. And I was like, okay, great. So this is like, you know, we're, it's mutually beneficial. I'm teaching you. You're learning something. We're making the show better together. Um, and it's all, you know, it's all about creating a good environment. Like the, the interview I just had today, um, 
they they were like, well, what makes a good show? And it's like, it's so many things. It's, you know, it's your audience. It's the lighting. It's the height of the stage. It's the way the chairs are set out. It's the brightness of the room. It's, it's so many things. Um, and for me, it's all about making the best situation possible for the comedian to shine. And it's the same thing when it comes to calling in favors. Like it's, I, I know what it's okay to ask. I know what they might like to do. I know what they don't want to be bothered with. I know that sometimes I will bother them with something, but there are a hundred times I won't bother them with something. And they know that. Mm -hmm. And it's like, you know, I don't know. I mean, like they, I know that I'm like an asset to comedians, but they're, you know, more helpful to me than anything. I wouldn't have a job if it weren't for them. So why wouldn't I want to take care of them? And, you know, like, yes, I want them to, to like do a gig for money, but also I'm not going to send them to a gig that's in a warehouse, an empty warehouse where it's standing room only and there's no lighting and there's like one, there's no PA system and it's after a three hour open bar. Like, I'm not going to do that. Like, yes, you can make 10 grand. Fine. But you're going to hate, that's not true. I would probably send them the offer with 10 grand, (laughs) but if it's like a thousand bucks, I'm like, you don't want to like, you know, for like a high, a big named high level comedian, like it's, they're not going to have fun. It's going to be miserable. Um, and so, yeah, that's where the ask comes in. I mean, the, the gigs that I do vary. Sometimes I have a very small budget. Sometimes I have a very big budget. Sometimes it's for promotional appearances. Um, and I never, I try to never be pushy. Like if it's, if I'm going direct to the client to the comedian to the performer which I I I, it took me a long time to learn when to go to a representative and when to go to the comedian it wasn't until years later that I was like oh I've been really doing this wrong and a lot of managers and agents hate me but I didn't know like it was these are my relationships with my friends like hey friend do you want to come do this thing yeah just going to the talent directly um so yeah I mean I just I think it's just a lot of paying attention and so when somebody asks me hey can you ask so-and-so to do my benefit for 50 people out in like you know an hour away and whatever I mean you know even if it's for a good cause I got to save those those favors I got to save those asks because something's going to come along where I'm like oh you know what I I need this is what I actually really need help with and been lucky enough where you know people helped like for this my for that um my damn channel thing it was there was really nothing in it for them they knew that like at the time not that many people were tuning in And, you know, it was just, but it was me figuring out a way to kind of pitch it to be like, Hey, it's fun. You know, I'll get you some giant sandwiches and a car service and won't bother you again for six months. So that's the the key is giant sandwiches. Giant. It's all about giant sandwiches. I wish I were kidding. Um, if there (laughs) is a point, a way to point people, um, to pictures, I feel like, Oh my God, it was so funny. I don't remember why John Glazer's idea for that one was he would come on with a bouquet for Beth to like congratulate her on starting the show, but it was a bouquet of like a giant sub submarine sandwich. It was so funny. Um, but yeah, I mean, and that's the other part of it. Like if I'm asking someone to do a favor, I want, I do want to make sure they're getting something out of it or they're comfortable. So like with that show, my damn channel was great. Cause I was like, okay, but we need to have like the best green room. I'm like, yep, absolutely. So it was food. It was snacks. It was mm-hmm. drinks. It was, if you want a booze, there was booze. Like if you, like, you know, you get a car service, whatever it is, it was, we're going to make you as comfortable as possible because you're doing us a huge favor. I feel like a lot of people forget that sometimes where, you know, they're like, I'm doing you a favor. I'm getting you on the internet. Like what, who, what? No one cares. Come on. Um, like it's, you know, it's, it goes both ways. Um, so yeah, the ask is, that ask is tricky and, and yet it's something I've managed to figure out. And I think is what led to so many of these wonderful jobs that fill up two pages. 
we're only halfway there. I, mean, I know. Well, <laughs> you have three hours. And Daily Motion and then Union yeah, Hall. That was fun. That was like, a, that was booking at South by Southwest on behalf of Daily Motion. They wanted to do like a little web series kind of thing. And, but they were like, no, no, we don't want just comedians. We want anyone. So I was like, all right. And so I just dug in my bag of tricks and figured out how to get people. And it was like, if you see, it's like uh, Rob Zombie, Harmony Kareen, Chloe Seveny. And then Ken Marina was such a favor because I wrote to his rep and they didn't get back to me. I was like, hey, Ken, nudge, nudge. And he's like, OK, I'll do it. And it was, yeah. Anyway, it was fun. So go on. <laughs> well, I mean, Talent Buyer Union Hall, mm-hmm. which yeah. Union Hall was, has been hands down my favorite gig. It so was, why don't you still do it? Yeah. Great question. Um, now I feel like I have a job interview. <laughs> well, why yeah. would you leave such a great? No, I loved it. So I was the talent booker for Union Hall in Brooklyn for about a year and a half. Um, that job came about because I Daily Motion had ended. And I was at my friend's going away party. She used to book Union Hall. And I was like, I don't know what to do with my life. And she's like, I'm leaving. I was like, oh. And so I interviewed and, you know, they brought me on. And so I was in charge of programming the entire calendar, which is the best. So I had, you know, seven days a week up to usually between seven and 12 shows a week. And it was comedy. It was music. Everything coming together. Everything. It was, you know, trivia, bingo, whatever. It was I had full creative control. The owners of Union Hall and Bell House are, I love them. They're wonderful. They, you know, basically I started and they were like, hey, well, we should do more music than comedy because people drink more at music and the bar will make more money. And I was like, well, okay. But also like, you know, it was one of those things right in my mind. I'm like, okay, but Union Hall hasn't been a place that people go to for music in a long time. Like it, they had some amazing music bookers. I was not that person. They knew that. I was like, I can't get you Fleet Foxes in the basement of Union Hall for 150 people. That, those times are over. And, uh, and so I was like, I'm going to do the math on this. And so I love Excel sheets. Like I love databases. And so I made them a pivot table. Like I, they, I was like, give me all your bar rings from the past two years. Give me all of your ticket sales. Give me, you know, and I labeled everything, comedy, music, other, and I showed them the pivot table and I was like, nope, you, you have more people coming through the door on average for comedy than you do for music. And if each, and it looks like each one of those people are buying one drink and not three. And like when they come for music, they're buying three drinks but there's only 15 of them comedy. It's a hundred people buying a drink. Right. So it's like, they're like, okay, great. You're in charge. <laughs> and so they never questioned anything again. And it was wonderful because like, you know, the bar upstairs has like, you know, been a go-to bar for years. And so that was, you know, that's where they're, they, that's the where they're bocce ball, really. Right. Yeah. The bocce ball. It's what let's like, that's what keeps them alive. And like, you know, the, the downstairs shows were added bonus. So if I had a show, you know, they were like, yeah, try whatever you want. And so, it was great. I got to just email comedians or musicians and be like, Hey, I feel like you would do a great show here. And we'd try it and they'd sell 15 tickets and we'd be like, well, that didn't work. <laughs> okay. Next, you know, or some of them, like I, I let, you know, I was actually able to take a step back and like create, like help curate shows again, where, you know, I was out with John Ron. I was talking to John Ronson, I think. And no, I think I'd met John Ronson once or twice. He's an author, um, amazing author. And then separately, I was, you know, talking to Maeve Higgins and I was like, oh, she should do a show. And then I went to an event and he had invited both of us. And I was like, oh, you guys know each other. Oh, you need to start a show together. This is the perfect. And they're still doing it like years later. And it's like it makes me so happy. Little things like that. Um, so it was great. Um, I loved it so much. And then uh, the Gersh agency called me. <laughs> I, well, that's right. When I met you. Yeah. Was yeah. You were transitioning from doing all these things. To yeah. Becoming an agent. It was a wild time. So. While I was at Union Hall, like as during this time, um, uh, also my dream job came to me, which was David Wayne 
what, you know, I saw that they were doing the state's 20 year anniversary show at Festival Supreme. And I was like, holy crap. And I emailed him. I was like, hey, do you want a producer? He's like, yep. And so but I didn't really realize what I was getting myself into. Actually, I think I said, do you want a, a stage manager? I was like, I'll just fly out and run the show. And he's like, great. And then I turned into the producer and the costume designer and like the rehearsal like coordinator. And it was one of the most intense things I've ever done while doing Union Hall. And uh, but it was also one of those things where like I'm just sitting there in the Union Hall offices in Brooklyn about a month before the show on the phone with like Michael Patrick Jan and Ben Grant and Tom Lennon and Michael Showalter and Carrie Kenny and McLean Black and David Wayne. And they're all just like goofing around on the phone. And I'm like, this is come on like this. Like I'd met them, most of them in passing over the years. But I was like, this is come on. Like 15 year old me is crying. And like that, but then also going, oh my God, where am I going to find a porcupine costume? (laughs) (laughs) And which thank God I I have wonderful friends and I have a friend who works at Henson. And so she and I together made, well, mainly her, we turned a bear (laughs) costume into a porcupine costume. It was great. Um, Hard to fly with, but anyway, so I was going out to, I was, that's what what was happening when Gersh called and um, like a manager had recommended me and they were like, and then I got a call saying, you know, from them being like, well, do you want to be an agent? And I was like, no. (laughs) <laughs> and they're like, well, why not? I was like, oh, no interest. I just never sounded good to me. They're like, well, will you talk to us? <laughs> I was like, I'll talk to you. And they were wonderful. Like I talked to one of their talent agents and one of their PA agents. And it was the the gig was for to be a PA agent, which um for appearances. Um and and you know, I I just had this like idea in my head that all agents were assholes. I you know, I I don't know why either. <laughs> I'd had a couple of really bad interactions, you know, throughout my years, which if you look at my resume, most of it, it's like, it's the level that I loved. It was kind of that level of helping people get from the back room of a bar to the back room of a bigger bar, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, like, or the, on a festival or like just getting to that next level. Like I love that process of it. And, um, but I hadn't dealt with that many agents. Like I really was kind of more direct to client or, you know, uh, like a publicist or whatever it is. I just, cause I didn't have the, the money that I would, you know, like that needed to bother an agent with. Like I wasn't offering people $10,000 gigs. I was offering them, you know, a monthly show in a basement right. or whatever it is, or 500 bucks to do a set somewhere. And so in my mind, it was just like these two assholes I dealt with represented the entire community. And so on, on this phone call, I was like, Oh, Oh no, you seem like normal people like that, like comedy. Mm-hmm. That's weird. And so I was like, look, I'm going to be in LA. I'll come meet with you. And I met with the head of comedy at, at Gersh, Rick Greenstein and, uh, TJ Mark Walter. And who is like, I don't know, the, the, the cool uncle of comedy. Uh, I mean, is yeah, that a good way to describe I it? Tell people about <laughs> who's a cool agent. Yeah. Number one. Number one. And then, um, and you wouldn't know her, but Danielle, Schoen- Danielle Schoenberg, who is the, like, she's the head of comedy talent, or I don't know if I'd say head. I don't know how they actually delineate it, but like, she's that talent agent that everyone was always like, oh my God, we love Danielle. Like she, and so I met with the three of them and it was like, you couldn't have met with three better people. And leading up to it, I think I'd had like an hour long phone call. Um, with Rick and I was like, I love this guy. Like he's he like we got we hit it off great. And so yeah, at this interview, it was kind of like the who are you? Where where did you come from? Because that's the thing is I've kind of like slid under the radar for a long time. So a lot of people in the industry never took me seriously or just didn't have the chance to because I wasn't a part of their world. Mm-hmm. 
And so we're, you know, we're chatting and I was like, and they're telling me what they do and I'm telling them what I do. And I'm like, oh shit, this makes sense. <laughs> you know, it's like, oh damn it. I'd be really good at this. And I really like them and fine. You know, and like I had, I met with some trusted friends in LA who, you know, one of them does things similar to what I do. One of them is a TV producer. Like, I was like, I need your advice. I don't know what to do because I love my job. I love it. I don't want to leave. But also this is a great opportunity. Like it's not every day that someone comes up to you and says, do you want to be an agent without saying, do you want to, you know, be a work in the mail or be an intern and then work in the mail room and then be a floater and then be who knows what I still don't know because I never did it. Mm -hmm. Um, And so I took the job and um, I was there for a year and a half. I think I would have lasted two months at any other agency. Um, it was definitely an experience. I mean, I was in New York, my team was in LA. Well, you know, I mean, there was an office filled with wonderful people in Gersh, New York. Um, but they were mainly talent theater, um, writing. And so, you know, it was a challenging job because I was teaching myself from scratch and like kind of forging a new path, um, from what they had been doing before. And so it was a lot of, you know, coming home, and working until like on weekends and evenings, trying to get my contact list up and my, my database up. I was like, I'm going to, I'm going to do this job on a rocket, you know? And I did, I loved it. And the comedians were so happy I was there and I was happy to be helping them. Um, and, but it just, you know, it, it was my God, how's anyone an agent props to them. It is one of the like most exhausting, like never stop working, looking at contracts, detail oriented jobs in the world. I mean, like, it's one of these things where after I'm, I'm working with a lot of, you know, now in the gigs that I'm doing, I'm working with a lot of agents at, at every agency. And I, I mean, there's, you know, like Ayala Cohen at ICM, like she helped me out so much on this one casting gig, like calling me on a Saturday, you know, evening being like, look, this one didn't work out. Let's try this. And I'm like, how are, thank you. <laughs> like, can I just say like, holy shit. Like they're just, you know, now that I know, and I've seen it more firsthand, like I know that it's, it's. The, there's a reason some people can there's be assholes. A, there's, right. They're so good at it. I mean, it's, but they're all like just working tirelessly and they're not all assholes. You yeah, know, it's impressive. Um, you know, give me respect for it for sure. And, you know, it was it, part of it was really fun. Part of, you know, like uh, some of it was like, you know, hey, you need to book a comedian into this tour at rock venues. Um, and it's really satisfying booking like a 20 date tour with two days off and it's perfectly routed. Like they're not backtracking. They're not driving more than four hours at a stretch. I'm like, I'm amazing. You know, like I was great at it, but it was, I mean, the level of stress in that job. And also it was, I think one of the biggest problems I had was I went from being able to work with everyone and help everyone to being able to service 80 people or hundred mm-hmm. people. And that's not where I wanted to be. Like, you know, I love, like if somebody at MTV is like, Hey, we're looking for a host for this. And I'm like, Oh, yeah, I can name 30 people for you. They're all at different agencies, you know, like mm-hmm. it's, or they're unwrapped or whatever it is. And like, that's, you know, and that's kind of, I don't know. It's the level that I like working at. It's the, let's help everyone get to the level where they get a manager or an agent. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, yeah, I mean. So was, after a year and a half, you're like fun experiment. After, after a year, <laughs> yeah. I was like, guys, Actually, after three months, I was like, guys, <laughs> and they were like, all right, let's, you know, figure out how we can make it um, different. And then after a year, I was like, guys, I got to go. And um, and I but I, you know, I'm that person that I don't want to I want everyone to be happy. And I want every I like that. I didn't want, you know, the 
I don't want to like screw with anything, like risk a comedian missing a tour date or risk, you know, my like TJ having to cover my ass because I didn't finish something. And so I stayed on for like another three or four months while I helped find my replacement. You know, Mm -hmm. I interviewed people and trained the woman who took, took over for me for a month and you know, she's killing it. She's doing great. Um, and, but yeah, it was, it was a lot. And I mean, it's interesting too the, the, the way that like, I don't know, like the, the world of comedy just kind of knows like right before, like right after I put in my notice, nobody knew. And I got a call from someone about casting a TV show and I was like, uh, Yes, but no, like, I, I, like I didn't want to, you know, tell me when I was leaving that wasn't in my company and it was like all these, but all of a sudden job offers started coming in. And so, you know, right away I left that gig and like I, I flew to South by Southwest the next day and, uh, was already starting work on a project three days later. Um, I've been lucky, I guess. Yeah, well, uh, I've worked you, very you hard. Put in the work. <laughs> it's making me tired just talking about it. You're doing so great. I mean, <laughs> this is an insane resume. And thanks. Yeah, it's. Um, well, let's see. We're at. Yeah, this has been a good. Oh, good. All right. And there's so much chock full. There's of, so much we haven't talked about. But well, I think the, the, I the like newest <laughs> stuff is. I mean, producing at yeah. Bonnaroo and South by Southwest. Yeah. West so it, I mean, again, it's just great how things work out. Like when I was at Comics, the comedy club. Um, Rocky Dubin was the, she, the, what would you call it? Programmer, producer. Um, she was a comedy producer at comics. And so she was handling all the headliners and kind of like overseeing, you know, general what was going on at the club. And I was booking the weekdays, the weekday programming. And she has been at Bonnaroo since they started doing comedy. And when I was at, in publishing, at the, the children's book yeah. publisher, right after Kurt and Kristen called me, she called me and she's like, I need someone to Bonnaroo this year. Can you do it? And I was like, oh, okay. And I like asked my bosses. They were like, I guess <laughs> you can take your week vacation. Yeah. And, um, fell in love with it. It's, you know, she brought me on to kind of just run the nuts and bolts of the tent. Um, which is, I love, I love so do you do that every year running now? events every, yeah, every year, except the year I was at Gersh, which, which was a great year because I just went and hung out and oh my God it's so fun just to hang out at Bonner. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like it's, I mean, it's unlike any other festival, like the talent are treated like royalty. And you know, she's like, here's your golf cart, go take care, go babysit John Hamm and Zach Galifianakis for six hours. I'm like, great, cool. Yeah. What do you guys want to Like, it was so fun. Um, but yeah, so I'm back what there was now. There a handicap. And no, nothing, no handicap. They just, they didn't have shows and you know, like it's, it's, it's very easy to walk around Bonnaroo, but it's even easier if you just have someone driving you around with a golf cart that knows all the backstage entrances. Mm-hmm. And it was, man, was that fun. I mean, like I've known Zach for years and I hadn't seen him in years and like we hadn't gotten to hang out in years. So that was a treat just to catch up and goof around. And I mean, John Ham, he's John Ham. Yeah. And no more, it was, yeah. I mean, it was, it was fun. It was really fun. We, uh, I can't, I can't even tell stories cause I can't <laughs> like, it's just, nothing I could tell here. Today. Nothing crazy happened, but also just some funny, crazy shit happened. Um, so yeah, it's, uh, I've been lucky. I've definitely been very lucky. And well, and I'm, I apologize. Don't apologize. I missed your show last night. Oh, it's okay. It it's happened. The thing about New York is, um, in my mind, everything's so close. Yeah. So I texted you at like 8.30. Show yeah. started at was like, how long is the show going to go? Because I figured it was going to start late. And you're like... We ended at 10. We did go a little uh, long, but... But still, it was like... And then I, I looked on my phone and I was like, oh, it's, it's like a good 45 minutes. Yeah. 
to get there. Sure. I mean, but at the same time, like, so Judah Freelander did the show last night and he went up second to last and he had already done a spot or two at the cellar, then came to my show, then had a set at Stand Up New York. Gives a benefit that he like was like, oh, I forgot I had a benefit tonight. And then he did a whiplash at 11, 11 p.m. at UCB. Crazy, so, yeah. yeah, like, I mean, I did that one night where like I just didn't feel like going home after a night train. Um, and Ari Shafir was on the show. And I was like, what are you doing now? He's like, I got a couple spots. I was like, oh, OK, can I come with you? He was like, yeah, of course. So we went to the stand and then the cellar. Or maybe it was the cellar, then the stand, then the cellar, then whiplash. I don't know. Something like that. It was. Maybe, maybe it wasn't even the cellar. I don't know. But it was like the most fun. Like we were out until two in the morning and he did, you know, like five spots, four spots like that. You can do it. Like it is a little bit of a trek to come out to Brooklyn. So like it's rare that I, you know, get Jim Gaffigan to come out. He, you know, he, he will. And, you know, he has a great time when he comes, but it's like, I try not to ask him too much. Again, mm-hmm. it's with that ask. I'm like, ah, I'm not going to bug him because it's a trek. Like, especially when you could just leave your apartment and do three or four spots in your neighborhood. Right. I've still never gotten Louis CK um, to come out to Littlefields. I've, you know, I've sent a few emails and been like, Hey, you don't really know me. Like we met twice in 2003. <laughs> um, he's never come out, but then, you know, like Chris Rock came by um, a few months ago and it's funny. Cause like, you know, we've kind of, Oh, I should probably mention the show that I produce. Yeah. So, um, yeah. Sorry. I didn't even say it out Night loud. Train with Night, train. Night train with wide snack. Every Monday night at Littlefield in Brooklyn and also on CISO to, yeah, season one and then yeah. season two coming out in the fall. Um, and yeah, so uh, I don't remember. Oh, Chris Rock. Yeah, that was that was funny. I mean, it was one of those nights when he's always had an open invitation and like, you know, he and Wyatt know each other a bit. And um, there have been a couple of times where it's like, oh, he might come through or like, you know, Questlove comes and hangs out at the show a bunch. And he's like, I think Rock's going to come by. And then he doesn't. And I'm like, oh, damn it. Um, but this time I got a text from the booker at Union Hall who was like, hey, our door guy just said Chris Rock was there looking for you guys. <laughs> and so I texted the door guy and I was like, oh, my God, what did you tell him? And the door guy said, I gave him my apartment address. I love him. He's amazing. <laughs> um, and but then sure enough, I like walk outside and Chris Rock has parked his car in like the like the patio area of Littlefield and just like leaves it there. Like, and I was like, Hey, how's it going? <laughs> um, and just, you know, walks back and he did an hour. And like, that's, it was just like, just saying that to someone the other day, like I'm very proud of my audience. Like they are amazing. Usually with the exception of last week, they were fucking terrible. But, um, after, you know, for eight, eight, eight and a half years of doing a show on a Monday night, one bad show is bound to happen. Um, but it, I've made it a point to, I don't know, like curate the best vibe in a room that I can. And it got even better when Wyatt and I started doing a show together. Cause he was like, did you ever think about moving the chairs like this? Cause like when we did hot tub, there was an aisle in the center and I was, that's right where the comedians stand. It never occurred to me that you could do three sections of chairs, one that's just in the center of the stage and one on left and right. It's like, Oh yeah. So like, you know, it got even better. Like, I mean, I'm not, I don't know everything. I'm open to suggestion and um, and it's, so you have the good vibe and I basically, I don't know, for years I've just been walking around. If someone starts yelling, I'm like, Hey, you can't do that. And they're like, Oh, okay. And you know, Hey, don't record. Like if mm-hmm. I see, I police the room. The if, comics need that. They need that. Yeah. Like, you know, if you're taking a hot tub, if you took a picture, fine. But like, if I see recording someone said, I'm going to stop you and I'm going to do it very nicely. I'm going to do it as nicely as possible. 
And if you don't understand, I'm going to get security, mm-hmm. you know, like it's, that's, I'm not going to, I'm not going to screw around. I'm not letting you ruin the show. And so, you know, when Chris Rock came by, like Wyatt said, Hey, just remember, don't bring your phones out. And so I immediately go in the audience and I'm looking around. No one has their phone out. And it happened once or twice where someone was taking a picture and I was like, Hey, you really have to put that away. And they did immediately. And my friend, I was telling my friends, um, I was like, Oh yeah, Chris Rock came by last night. They're like, Oh, that's funny. Cause he went to UCB three nights ago and got up to do a show and everyone had their phones out. And he's like, all right, all right, all right, put your phones away. And they did. And then one girl took her phone out in like the second row and was like, click. And he was like, all right, later. And just left. But instead at my show, we did an hour, you know, cause it's, it's, it makes me so happy. Like that Sarah Silverman could drop in and no one has their phones out or like, I don't know, just, Bob Odenkirk or, yeah. you know, it's, it's awesome. So if you're not Bob Odenkirk or Sarah Silverman or Chris Rock, how do you get booked on your show? Oh, you don't. Nobody gets booked. I'm just kidding. Um, <laughs> well, I think, I mean, it's one of the hottest shows in New York. And Thank you. Um, it's tricky. I could be better about responding to people who submit clips because, and I tell people all the time, and like the correct way to do it is, you know, if you're good enough, you can find out who books a show. Done. You, sh- you can get an email. Don't freaking email me on Facebook. It's, it's not a real thing. Um, and if you like, if you know how to submit, you know, how, how to email someone, great. You're doing great. Like it's basically, you have to send you have to include a clip. Right. I can't tell you the number of comedians who've emailed me being like, Hey, I heard your show is great. Can I do it? I'm like, well, okay. Number one, you've heard it's great. You live in New York. You've never been to my show. Well, you should first come to my show because guess what? Not everybody's going to do well with my audience. Like my audience is super PC. Like they can be very buttoned up. They can smell a club comic a mile away if they don't know how to adjust, you know, come see my show, introduce yourself or not. I don't care. Just be like, Hey, I was, I've been to your show. I like your show. (laughs) Exactly. Um, and send me a clip. I'm not, don't like, you know, make me go through the effort of trying to find a set of yours online. If you don't have a clip, you're not ready. Done. Easy as that. If you don't have a clip you like, get a clip you like, you're not ready. You Mm -hmm. know, like it's, there are other shows to work your stuff out on. I don't want to bring you in front of my audience because I don't want you to fail, but I also don't want my audience to not enjoy you. Like I, you know, I, I try to be careful about, I try to book at least one new person a week on the show that hasn't done the show before, which seems like a lot. It's not like I still haven't, I have a folder of emails, which this is how I could be better. Like, you know, I tell people like, yeah, you can email me. You can send me a clip. Absolutely. I don't archive them or delete them, but I also don't always respond. I have 400 emails in a folder labeled to watch (laughs) that I get to like, you know, you've seen my resume. I'm crazy busy all the time. And unfortunately, like I just don't always have time to watch. I hate watching clips. I hate it. I I would much rather go out and see people live, but I will watch clips. I do watch them eventually. Um, And then also, I mean, the other way is recommendations. It's not, you know, it's, I definitely have a lot of comics that are like, Hey, if you need a rec, these five people recommended me fine. That's great. Um, sometimes I'll email those comics and they'll be like, who is this? I'm like, yeah. So I can't always go off of that. Um, if I, if I go off of a rec, I'll still have to watch a clip. I have a few comedians. I was actually telling a couple of the comedians last night that like one of them was like, okay, I'm sorry to ask you, but two people emailed me and were like, get me booked on that show. Can I give them your email address? I was like, yeah, of course you can. But I told them and I was like, you know, look, I trust you. You've done this show so much. You've seen my audience. You are in the scene all the time, seeing people that I never see because I don't get out enough. 
if you want to recommend someone to me, recommend someone to me. It doesn't mean I'll have room for them, but it, I will absolutely, it absolutely means something. Like I have probably a dozen comedians that do the show that will recommend people to me. And it, it means something because mm-hmm. it's, I mean, it's hard otherwise. Like there are There's thousands 7, of comedians. Thousand comedians. Is it seven? Do you think, think it's seven? I think just in this uh, square block. <laughs> it's funny. I, um, last summer I was like, you know what? I'm doing, I've been doing a lot of casting and I was like, I want a database of all the comedians. I'm going to start a database of all of the comedians. What a crazy thing. I'm up to about 3000 and that's definitely not everyone. I add people to it all the time and it's like, but it's also, Oh my God, I am valuable. Hire me. Like it's, I, if somebody emails me and they're like, I need a woman in her twenties that was born and raised in New York and is a vegetarian and doesn't drink alcohol and like, I'm like, okay, like that's how, that's how I sort my, <laughs> we, I mean, as soon as we get off mic yeah. and people that live listen to this podcast and my other one, like, are like probably like, like I am right now, like yeah. goosebumps, like, oh my God, <laughs> we're meant to have like my spreadsheet yeah. game. <gasps> I would love to see your spreadsheet. My oh my Google God. Drive, and I've had the last two months of not working. Oh, that's great. So, and I, to avoid doing yeah. work. I see. I had one summer of two amazing interns. And I love them so much. And they put in so much work. They put in so much. And like, I would love to have more free time to update it. And like, it's, it's not where it needs to be, but like it's, but it's been a huge asset to me. Cause like the basics yeah. are there. So like, if someone's like, I'm casting this in LA and I need this kind of person, like I also have the, you know, the number of Twitter followers, like, like, all right, great. Or if, if I think they're a headliner, if I think they're a feature, mm-hmm. um, but also there are, I don't know, 1500 comedians on there. And like, who yeah. are you? Who are you? Like, are you just doing bar shows in Brooklyn? I used to have, I, mean, I don't know if you've seen it. It was, it goes around, but I have a, when I was, well, I shouldn't get into too much, much detail, <laughs> but, um, uh, David Cross was looking to get back up on stage and he's like, what are the good shows? I was like, standby. And so I pulled Facebook. I pulled my friends. I was like, guys, I don't even know. I haven't been out in a year. And so I started a Google doc that was like all of the Monday night shows, all the Tuesday nights, all the weeklies, all the monthlies, all the, not the mics. And I just made it a, a shareable Google doc. And I was like, here, have at it people. And then I had a private one where if headliners reach out to me and said, what are the good shows these days? I'm like, you can have it. Don't share this. Cause I don't like, to me, you shouldn't booker information should not be floating around out there. If you're good enough, you're going to find out who the booker is. Mm-hmm. If not, we would all be inundated like crazy. And then we actually in New York, like, we're all friends, the bookers. There aren't that many left that are just comedy show producers, but they're actually, no, there are more now than there were two years ago, three years ago. And you know, we fucking love each other. And so we'll, they'll emails will go around a lot of like, Hey, so-and's like, you know, so-and-so's coming into town. If you guys want to book them, have at it. Like we would never say book this person, but like, it's kind of like a hot tip because a lot of comedians that come in from LA, I'm like, they'll forget that I book a show. And I'm like, guys, come on, I've been mm-hmm. doing it for eight years. And so like, I mean, you know, thank God, like Jeremy Levenbach and I have a great relationship. He books the, the whiplash show at UCB. And so constantly every Monday I'm like, who you got? And he was like, who you got? And you know, I mean like he's last night, he, I probably shouldn't say too much about these things. Anyway, I was supposed to have a special guest stuff, that, yeah. that he, he tipped me off to. He's like, Hey, you should reach out to so-and-so they're in town. And, um, and I did. And like, he's like, I was like, can I mention that they sent me, you sent me? And he's like, yeah, absolutely. And so they wrote back right away and they couldn't make it. But like, you know, I can't, I can't know who's in town all the time. I don't know. So it's, it's nice when that happens. Um, cause you know, I tried, it's always the goal for like independent shows and smaller shows like, you know, night train or whoever to, you know, get the audience coming to your show because they trust your booking. Absolutely. 
And you would think that after eight or nine years, people would just come to the show, but still, and they do, I have to say, we've been so lucky the past, I don't know, year and a half two, probably two years where I don't think we've gotten below a hundred people on a Monday night. And usually it's more. And like just this week I was like, Oh, something's in the air. And I emailed all my friends. I was like, everybody needs to come to the show tonight. And it was true. Like it was just like the first nice day out why it's out of town. We had great people on the lineup. Like Judah was on the lineup, but still I was like, they just, they wanted more. And like, they they were like that. My audience, I could tell they were like, Oh no, if you want us to not be outside on the first beautiful day of spring, you got to give us something special. And right. I was like, this is special, <laughs> but it wasn't, you know, like they still are. So of course, I mean, I would be drawn into a show by a celebrity I've never seen or like, you know, a comic you never get to see all, everywhere in New York. Um, but yeah, I don't know. I've been lucky that, our, our fans are wonderful. They, they keep us going. And I also, it makes me happy too. Cause Park Slope is very white. And when we started the show, it was very white. It was a very NPR, you know, middle-aged mm-hmm. audience and, and younger. I mean, you know, some of those, these people are wonderful and still coming back. But, um, after a couple of years, like I started, I would be outside after a show and, you know, I'd have a woman be like, I've never, I've never like, you know, I'm an Indian woman. Like I've never seen two Indian people on a show at the same time. I'm like, Oh yeah, no, it's just, just, yeah, that's, I don't know. I'm like, I'm not doing it on purpose and I'm not, not doing it on purpose. It's like, there are, you know, comedy so diverse. And the yeah. fact, like if you're just booking a show, that's all straight white males, you're doing, you're, you're making an effort to do that. <laughs> you know, like it's, it's not easy. Like it, I'm sure you could easy to do, but, um, I think that might be the easiest. It's the easiest thing, thing to do. World. It's easy to do. But I was like, if you're not even like giving any thought to this, I mean, you know, we had a policy at, hot tub where there has to be at least one woman per show, if not more. Um, and I got to say why it was great about it. Why it was like, no, there should be at least two women per show. I was like, yeah, no, you're right. And so, I mean, I've had shows where it's like four women and one man. Um, and I mean, I do feel kind of bad for straight white guys. (laughs) I book them. I do, but it's, that's again, it's the same thing where it's like, I, I only have five spots per show and I'm not going to book five dudes on my show. And I only have so many shows a year and it becomes tricky when it's like, I want to get everybody up on the show at least once. And I would love to have everybody back once a year, but there, I, I literally don't have yeah. enough spots. It's, it's impossible. It, I hate it. Like, you know, I'll have a favorite, like of, you know, I have a favorite comic that's like, Hey, I haven't been to your show in two years. And I'm like, fuck, I know. But like looking at my lineups for the next two months, I'm kind of like, I'm booked. Like I'm done. I don't know what to do with you. It's tricky. I know. Of course it's so hard. I mean, that's the problem is, you know, there are so many comedians these days and And a lot of them are good. There's so many great comedians. And then in our positions too, it's like you become friends with somebody. So yeah, it's this added layer of the difficulty of I'm saying no to you as a comic and as a friend. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Oh yeah, absolutely. It's but so I, th- and that, I think that's something for comics that maybe don't know all the bookers should know too. It's like, we're saying no to our friends. Yeah. Um, yep. So when you're coming in from out of town and we don't know who you are and you don't have any clips it's or tricky. like, yeah. Even if you do have clips, like, I mean, I do try, I try to look to stay on top of like when people, if people email me and they're like, I'm in town for these weeks, but also usually they don't email me in time. I book my show two months out at least. Yeah, comics aren't always the... No. On top of that. Right. Yeah, exactly. Um, but, um, yeah. Well, I have to go produce a show now. Go produce a show now. I'm sorry I talk so much. This is why I don't do podcasts. This is great. <laughs>
This is why you don't do podcasts. This is why you should. This uh, is why you should have a podcast. Yes. Just talking about comedy. I love talking comedy. I mean, I have so many more also, things. Also, can I just say that, like, yes. there's everything I said you can just throw out of a window because, I mean, like, if comedians are looking for advice, there's no right, right way to do anything. They know that, right? Do comedians know that? that there's no formula? Not every comic knows everything. Okay. Uh, well, don't stress. Do You have your own path. Well, I end every show, and now you're the second podcast I've done in New York where I don't have it in front of me. Mm-hmm. So um, You can read my resume to, do this. to close. Uh, I'll have to add this in and post. Okay, but, that's um, fine. I end every show with um, uh, work on your craft endlessly, um, be a professional, mm-hmm. uh, be undeniable, mm-hmm. and be cool as fuck always. Yeah. That's kind of the... Totally. That's it. Good advice. And there's no guarantees even with that. Yeah, absolutely. Do you have any parting advice like just some sort yeah, of yeah i mean idea. i think that's it like if you if there's i would say don't try to compare yourself to other comedians and where they are in their career it's you know everything happens for everyone at a different time um worry about yourself and yeah be nice to everyone the comedians the industry i mean you're gonna have to work with these people forever yeah don't burn your bridges there's no there's no reason to do it um and don't be i mean for getting booked on shows i one thing i meant to say was like, don't be afraid of reaching out. I've had comedians where I, I've never seen them. And then they'll show like an agent will be like, Hey, did you ever have so-and-so on? I'm like, no, do they live here? And that person being like, Oh, I don't want to bother you. I'm like, no, no, you have to ask just because yeah. I haven't read 400 emails. Doesn't mean you're not doing it exactly right. Like you have to ask for what you want. Mm-hmm. You have to go for it. No one's just going to hand it to you. Um, just make sure that you're humble and being nice about it. Oi. Anyway, Oy. <laughs> Oy. That's perfect. it's the most Jewish way to end the podcast. <laughs> well, we are Oy in day. Brooklyn exactly, where there cool. are many a Jew, yeah, including myself. And that just sounded kind of <laughs> offensive, but I didn't mean to it. We're Jewish. We're Jewish. We yeah. love big. Ba- we're eating bagels right now. It's fine. Um, well, thank up. you so much. This thank is so much fun. Thank you for having me. We'll do it again, I hope. I hope so. And we're going to b- about to compare spreadsheets. Great. All right. Bye. Bye. For more episodes of Gatekeeper, you can subscribe to us on iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play, or wherever you listen to podcasts. You can find me online at jamieflam.com, at jamieflam on Twitter, at GatekeeperPod on Twitter, and Flammy Davis Jr. on Instagram. This episode was produced by Andrew Steven, and a very special thanks to Buddy Peace for the music at the top and end of this and all episodes.